Welcome back to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. In this episode, we're continuing a recent session on hypertension from the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians, or ACOFP. Speaking is Dr. Anthony Brown, Clinical Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. The most common causes of, of resistant hypertension are your top four. Uh, renal parenchymal disease is, you know, up to 8%. So if the creatinine's up, they have CKD, that's gonna, that may raise their blood pressure. Renal arterial disease is 3 to 4, but this is a whole new category here, this hyperaldo, which is becoming uh, more prevalent. So, 37-year-old white female referred to you for resistant hypertension. Occasional headaches, fatigue, muscle cramps. Blood pressure is 170 over 100. Uh, BMI is 27. She's on a good dose of enalapril, good dose of uh, the diuretic, and a tenolol. Uh, I don't like it, but that's fine. She's on a tenolol. Uh, potassium is 2.6. Now, that's on a diuretic, but it's also on an enalapril. So, you know, things that... The, Red flag should be going off all over here. So what would you do next to establish this diagnosis? Plasma metanephrine, which, by the way, is an excellent test if you're looking for a feel. Fasting plasma metanephrine. Renal agram, ratio of aldo to plasmarenin, low-dose dex suppression test, which is for Cushing's, uh, 24-hour urine aldo after sodium loading, not yet, and a TSH, which you may want to check anyway, but uh, so... When we get to the answer, when you have resistant hypertension or signs, specific signs like severe hypokalemia, or you find an, an adrenal incidental OMA on a CAT scan, then you really should look for, for secondary causes. And uh, I'm going to just spend a little bit of the next couple slides on primary aldo because I think you're going to see it a little more. It is the most common endocrine disorder causing hypertension. The prevalence is really tough to figure out, but it's about 5 to 10%. And, and the reason is, in your pr family practice clinic, you're going to see all of these essential hypertensions. So the, your prevalence is going to be real low. Mine's higher because you're sending everybody that's on three drugs already. Um, but it you, looks like it's from 5 to 10%. Now, the old teaching, which is still valid, but just to a point, is hypokalemia and metabolic alkalosis were important clues to hyperaldo. So if you see somebody, potassium's down, or if they're on a diuretic and it's less than three or more than you think, then you've got to at least start thinking of this. The problem is nowadays, 50% or more have normal potassium. So you're not going to see these. If you see it, it's easy. Uh, but if you don't see it, don't, it, it could still be hyperaldo. You want to evaluate it when you have, if you have hypertension and you find an adrenal uh, mass, if they have a family history of early hypertension or stroke, so if someone in the family had blood pressure in their before 40 or they stroked early, you want to think of this, and then any, any relative that has it. So the best test, the best screening test for primary aldosteronism is the aldorenin ratio. They don't do this for you, uh, although some do, some do. So you order plasma, uh, an aldosterone level in the morning and a plasmarenin, and you put them over each other. The problem is, if you look at this ratio, 
this ratio will really go up when the renin's down, which is really what happens. You don't, what you want to see, you want to see renin down. Aldo has to be elevated. Because if you don't do that, you're going to have all of these false positives because the renin's down. So that's a good ratio. And when you look at that ratio, over 20 to 30, depending on the lab, but at least that starts teasing you. Uh, but again, that's, I think that's an important point. Make sure the aldo is, is elevated. Now, here's the problem with some of these things. What's the problem with aldo-renin ratio? Look at the beta blocker. They really like you off of it if you can because it, it lowers renin. Diuretics increase renin. ACEs and ARBs, uh, they'll lower aldo, but they increase renin. So... All these things affect this ratio, and then there's some other factors down there that affect it. So it makes it kind of tough. Um, now, if you're a member of the uh, Endo Society, what, what they might suggest you do is, you know, if you can, and I don't, I'm not going to recommend this that strongly, but if you really think somebody has it, you've got to take them off these drugs, and here's the three you put them on, verapamil, hydralazine, and an alpha blocker. Um, you know, good luck with that. Um, they will we'll control them, but some of these patients are significantly hypertensive, and so when you're pulling them off their meds, you've got to be careful they don't run into problems. That's why a lot of us don't do that. But that's the, actually, if you did want to do it and say, what's, that, what's the renin aldo on those drugs? They don't affect those levels. Um, so finishing up here on primary aldo, so if you have an elevated ARR, renin-aldo-renin ratio, then the next thing would be uh, you, we're going to see if they suppress. Because if you have primary aldo and you give somebody salt, you should suppress their aldo. If they don't, then that's where primary aldo has. If you, if you don't have primary aldo, you'll suppress their aldosterone when you give them salt. And that's what these tests are. Now, notice nowhere in this slide before that do I have a CAT scan or adrenal vein sampling? And the reason that is, you have to fight the urge. I, I, maybe some of you are thinking, oh, why don't we just get a CAT scan? That's a problem. You want to try to prove that it's endocrinologically active first. Because more often than not, you're going to get the incidental, adrenal, uh, uh, incidental adrenaloma. You get a CAT scan for some other reason, they have a two-centimeter adenoma of their right adrenal gland, which has nothing to do with anything. So just be careful. If you look like you've, you're proving it, and at this stage here, when you're getting to this level, this is probably where you, you probably need to be referring some of these people for some of these tests and, uh, to see what happens. And then if it looks like, then you do a CT of the adrenals, and there's either going to be pri uh, um, an adenoma or more frequently bilateral hyperplasia. And then, if you really go further, then they go to adrenal vein sampling, which should be just done really in specialized centers, because the adrenal veins are tiny, and uh, the, the radiologists really know, need to know what they're doing with that. Okay, so I'm going to finish with the last question here. 85-year-old female seeking a second opinion. Her PCP advised her to take lisinopril and a diuretic. She's only on over-the-counter meds. Her uh, blood pressures uh, have ranged from 158 to 180. So she has isolated systolic hypertension. 
not diabetic, no no MI, no stroke. Her mother died from a stroke at 77. On exam, she's 172 over 65. She has a murmur, an S4, no, no edema. Renal function's relatively normal. So you should advise her what? A 24-hour ambulatory may show white coat. Uh, isolated systolic hypertension is normal with aging. Uh, although uh, ISH should be treated, no data pertaining to women of her age. Or just go ahead and take the ACE in the diuretic. And, and your chance of developing heart failure may be less than during two years. All right. This just shows with age in men and female, the systolic does go up. Diastolic somewhere around 60 starts to drop because of aortic stiffness. But we do have a trial that looks at that, HIVET trial, hypertension in the very elderly. Remember, that patient was like 80-some years old, or 78 to 80. So this, this was a multicenter trial. They looked at 3,800 patients over the age of 80. Uh, with blood pressure over 160. And they started with a thiazide, added an ACE, and their goal, and this is probably one of the things, new things that are coming out, um, the goal was less than 150. Um, not 130 over 80, 150 over 80 was their target. And what they showed here is that fatal stroke, CHF, and all corals mortality uh, was improved in these 80-year-old patients. And it's sort of the same thing in this CIST-Euro trial where they had 4,600 patients, and they kind of did the same thing, although here they used a calcium channel blocker up front. And they split these patients, and they had a group of patients over 80. Um, They kind of had similar data that uh, stroke was a little better, uh, MI and total cardiovascular disease was better. In the 80 over group, it was attenuated. So it was, there was a little bit of advantage, but it wasn't as much as if you're 60 or 70. So I think looking at this, when coming back to that question, uh, you know, I probably would start a little more gentle in this lady. I might have just added the hydrochlorothiazide, 12 and a half rather than an ACE combination, even though, you know, that 160 over 100 wasn't studied in 80-year-olds. So I would probably add the diuretic and follow her. We know diuretics work great in the elderly. So I would have probably added 12.5 hydrochlorothiazide, see how she does, bring her back, get close to 150, uh, maybe a little lower. Uh, It's not like if they have uh, CKD or if they have heart failure, if they're coronary disease, then you probably need to get that pressure better to go. But asymptomatic in an elderly patient, just be careful. And this is why. They're either going to fall asleep on you, and they're going to fracture their hips. And when they do that, we know the mortality of a hip fracture in six months, right? They don't do very well. So um, a lot of my patients, when they come in, you know, they're coming in with a walker. You know, I have them stand there when I walk in the room for a minute, and I check their blood pressure while they're standing. Because they may be fine when they're there, but try to, I'll try to look, get a standing blood pressure. She may not be as aggressive if their pressure was 145 over 60 standing. Okay, not too bad. So, uh, all right. So I'm going to end here. Um, I, I think the control of high blood pressure is obviously a comprehensive coronary risk management. And I'm going to finish with this slide on things, 12 things to know in 2012 regarding hypertension. So hypertension is still undertreated, only 45% getting goal. 
Getting the blood pressure down the goal is the most important thing. That's always first, then, then the meds you use are secondary. Systolic blood pressure has been linked to bad outcomes. Uh, consider ambulatory blood pressure in selected cases. Use the drug that it's indicated if you have a, compel- a compelling indication. Which drug? Chlorthalidone is making a comeback. Take your pick. I'm just presenting some of the data. If your GFR is less than 30, you may need a different type of diuretic. In patients with kidney disease, an ACE or an ARB uh, probably is good first line. Combination ACE, ARBs, or even the aliskirin, be careful. You know, they should probably only be used in selected cases. I wouldn't be using those for just routine control. Uh, In the very elderly, over 80, uh, we may want to accept a little bit higher blood pressure, assuming they don't have target organ damage. Um, consider using at least one blood pressure at night. If you have people on several meds, so amlodipine, put them at ACE at night, amlodipine in the diuretic in the morning. So you may want to start trying that if you can't get your patients controlled. Um, for diabetes and CKD and or proteinuria, we like to shoot for 130 over 80, although that may change. And then last but not least is spironolactone. Is, it looks like it may be very effective in patients uh, and or, or plerinone, uh, very effective in those patients with resistant hypertension. So thank you. Hey, uh. <laughs>